So my name is Rod Thompson. I'm going to share the word with you today. Um, Reliance is going to, on August 30th, start a the School of Ministry, restart the School of Ministry the next semester, but it's going to kind of be rebranded and relaunched, and the, the school is now going to be called Leaders in Training, and so the acronym will be LIT, so, and so it's going to be LIT, and so we're kind of excited to see what God's going to do. I'm going to be a, a great part. Bob Brown, Mary is going to be um, the team and a couple others. Um, as we launch, relaunch the School of Ministry. So I'm going to start by, you know, sharing this, uh, is it morning still? Yeah. So this morning that, uh, you know, the importance of growing in our relationship with God and in our, in our walks with the Lord. So I'm going to look at four different things. I'm going to look at growing in God's Word, growing in God's grace, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, and then growing in our ministry or in our service to the Lord. And then afterwards, I'm going to share just a brief kind of update. Um, I'll give you, a, it's a three-year program. I'll kind of explain how it's going to work. And then Mary in the Connection Center has um, sign-up sheets for those that would like to sign up for the, for the school. So the first thing is um, growing in God's Word. And there is a process that God takes us through as we become believers. It starts as newborn babes. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And we have two little dogs. Um, they're chihuahuas. I never thought I would like a chihuahua. I never thought they were dogs. <laughs> I, you know, I had, growing up, I had bird dogs, German short hair point. Those, those are dogs, right? And chihuahuas were like dog food. But, you know. <laughs> but we have now two chihuahuas who kind of run our house. And um, they've won my heart. Now I love the little chihuahuas. One of them thinks peaches, that one's mine. And the other the girl, and then the boy is Crash, and um, she's really atta- he's really attached to my daughter, Simona. But anyway, they had puppies. Yeah, they were, they're this little baby, 12, I mean, 12 are small, um, baby 12 are really small, kind of about the size of a rat. But anyway, that's another story. So it was amazing to watch the instincts kick in um, with... The mother, Chihuahua, and the baby. Right when they were born, they automatically knew how to nurse. That's all they really did. They were born, um, you know, within minutes, they were trying to figure out how to nurse. And that's what they would, they would eat, and then they would sleep. That was, that's all they did at the beginning. And the mother kind of knew how to feed them. The babies knew how to you know, receive the milk from the mother. And, and they, when they were hungry, you know, they just went after it. They were babies, but they, they knew what to do, and they were just going for it. They needed some food. And when we get saved, that's kind of the, how it should be with us, isn't it? You know, we should 
become born-again Christians. We're little babes in Christ, and we should go after it. The pure milk of the word so that we can grow, you know. At the beginning, maybe that's all we do is eat, you know, and, and drink. But um, I remember when my son, we moved, I was a missionary for 15 years, and I took over a church in Spital, Austria. And um, I remember my son was just a, a young, you know, kind of toddler, and he was still in the crib, and he'd woken up for his, from his nap, and he was hungry. And I remember him you know, grabbing, standing up, pulling himself up, grabbing a hold of the side of the crib and kind of shaking it like, I'm hungry, I'm awake, and I'm hungry. I remember looking in his eyes, and I, and I saw, like, this fierceness in him. Like, you know, if you don't give me some food, I'm going to rip this crib apart, and I'm going to throw it at you, you know. I mean, he wanted something to eat. I was just glad he was small enough because he would have done it. You know, he would have hurt me. Uh, and, and this is it. We're, we're, we're newborn babes, and we need to have this intense hunger for God's word so that we can grow. And when we're young Christians, we grow with the aid of others. Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk... And not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So Paul, the apostle, the pastor, the minister, he knew what people needed. He knew what they could take. But the people needed to realize to put themselves in a position to receive from the apostle Paul. When I first got saved at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa in 1985, I remember I I went to every Bible study that there was. I went to Sunday morning with Pastor Pastor Chuck, Sunday night with Pastor Chuck, Wednesday night with Pastor Chuck, Tuesday with Randy Ziegler, Thursday night was Odin Fong with the... um, I mean, every every opportunity I, I went to put myself in a position to receive God's word. And in order to develop the way God wants us to, we must take initiative in our lives. We must make the right choices with the time that God has given us. And we must develop in our lives the discipline to follow through. Right? It's easy to make a New Year's resolution, every year I am going to lose weight. <laughs> Didn't work. It lasted January, but it's hard to keep it going, you know. Enchiladas, man. <laughs> Just cheese, enchiladas. More cheese, the better. But we need to take initiative with our spiritual life. We need to follow through and put ourselves in the position that we can grow. We need to grow in our lives um, so that we really don't have to depend on others to feed us as well. Paul writes to his son in in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.15, and says, Be diligent to present 
yourself approved to God, to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And rightly dividing has the two Greek words, orthos, straight, and temno, to cut. And it means like to cut straight or, or to divide. And then it, it came to mean, you know, to be able to deal with something correctly. And so in our Christian development, in our Christian lives, in growing in God's word, we need to get to the point where we can look at this thing and, and rightly, correctly interpret it, un- be able to understand it for ourselves. It's not normal to remain in a place that we always have to depend on somebody else to feed us, to understand it, right? That son of mine who was a toddler in the first story is now 23 years old. He's married to my beautiful daughter-in-law, Susanna. They've been married now almost two years. Now, wouldn't that be strange if at mealtime, I still had to go to his house to prepare a meal for him? That'd be weird. And he'd get skinny because I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I'm too busy preparing my own, right? No, no. But, you know, you know he loves to cook in, in our, you know, growing up. Uh, I love to cook. Obviously, I love to eat, so I love to cook. And, um, and we would cook together. He's a real cook. So he learned how to, you know, read a recipe, take the ingredients, and to put it in a pan and to make something that he can eat. And that's kind of what we need to do as Christians. We need to figure that out so we can feed ourselves. This church, Reliance, is um, kind of like the Bereans in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11 Luke writes about them, these Bereans, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. These guys knew how to do what I'm talking about. They could come to a Bible study, receive, and then they could go home, kind of look at the scriptures, and to make sure that everything that the preacher said was, was right. And so... As we grow in God's word, not only do we want to be able to feed ourselves at some point, but we want to be able to help and feed others as well. There's a couple in the book of Acts by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They were expelled from Rome, and they came, and um, it's just a beautiful story. I'll read to you from Acts 18, 24 through 26. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And then listen to this. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. See, here's the story of this couple, just a normal couple. That's why I wanted to share this story. Who, you know, heard Apollos speak, but he didn't have the full story. And so rather than interrupt during the service, you know, and 
um, in pride, maybe say, hey, "Well, actually, he doesn't know the whole story." We do, you know. So, but he they took him aside in humility, and they explained to him more accurately the things of God. Explained more accurately the word. They were able to teach Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla. A normal couple. They came and they got saved and they grew in God's word were the, to the point where they were to, able to help others. And maybe you'll never be called to the pastorate. Maybe you'll never be called to full-time vocational ministry. But God desires you to grow in your Christian life, to be able to help others. That's the goal. To do a work in you, and then to do a work through you. Maybe God will have you open your home and host a home fellowship where maybe some younger Christians, young believers can come and you can begin to help and take the things that you've learned and now communicate to the, those things to them. When Juju and I took over that church in, in Austria, you know, it was a, the building and then there was an apartment on top. We lived in the apartment above the church. And, you know, people would come in and out of our house all the time. People would come and visit, and, and we'd sit down with them, have coffee, maybe a bratwurst. I love bratwurst, whatever. And then um, and, and we would just share the things of the Lord with them. There was this one particular lady who came more often who maybe, you know, really had some twisted thinking and some kind of emotional struggles and that kind of thing. And she came over, you know, day after day sometimes. And we would just sit down with her. And over the course of time, we kind of helped this woman kind of untwist her thinking. Just showing her what God's word said. Explaining to her, you know, what God's word meant to her life. And this woman grew and she married... Um, somebody who was a missionary, and now they've been serving on the mission field for more than 20 years together as a result. And I want to share that that is one of the most rewarding things that I do, that I love to do, is to help somebody and to see the evidence, to walk away from that situation and realize, I just helped somebody in the things of God, something that will last forever. In their life. There's nothing better. And I want you all to get to that point. I want you all to get to the point where that you can experience that feeling, that rewarding feeling that you just help somebody to understand God's word. You know, I I appreciate Pastor Ted's ministry. I come and I sit and I receive, and God, every time I come, God speaks into my life, I leave encouraged, right? But I've also grown in my Christian life where I can also feed myself. I, it, there's nothing better than, I mean, everybody likes a meal prepared for them, right? <laughs> Before the church merged, I would prepare the meal every Sunday, and now some Sundays I just get to come and, come on, give it to me, Ted, come on, you know? Thank you, God. But there's the writer to the Hebrews, he has a rebuke kind of for his readers. Hebrews 5, chapter 12, uh, 
verse 12 through 14. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a bane. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so, here's like some people where they didn't really develop. It was kind of an abnormal kind of situation. Normal situation, they would have grown to be able to teach others. But they hadn't. They've been, their growth had been arrested. So I think it's appropriate that we ask ourselves, have we taken the right actions in our lives? Have we put ourselves in the right place to be able to grow and develop as God would desire? You know, I want to challenge you that you take the appropriate action, that you make the right choices and that you develop discipline to follow through that you can get yourself to the next level, whatever that is. Maybe you're a babe. Maybe you're on milk. Then you need to put yourself in a place so you can start eating solid food. You need to maybe get into a home fellowship where you can start really mixing it up and have the discussions and, and get some questions answered. You know, Maybe it's to begin the leaders in training school where you can take it to the, another level and, and, and grasp things. I guarantee that if you come to the first semester, which is going to be a simplified inductive Bible study, we'll go through the the book of Ephesians together as we learn how to study the Bible. I guarantee that if you make it to the end, because everyone, you know, August 30th, there'll be a bunch of people there. And I just wonder in September if there will still be that many people there, you know. But if you continue and you, and you discipline yourself to make it to the I guarantee you'll never read the Bible the same. Uh, the system that I use, it will force you to slow down. You'll see things that you never saw before. You'll, God will be speaking into your life directly. And, um, and, and, and so you can grow in God's word. The next thing we need to grow in grace. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace means unmerited favor. We all know that. Mercy, has been explained, is not receiving the wrath that we deserve. And grace is receiving eternal life that we don't deserve. Right? Um, Millard Erickson, a theologian, he explains it like this. God deals with his people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness, what they deserve, wrath, but simply according to their need. In other words, he deals with them on the basis of his goodness and generosity. 
and growing in God's grace. Familiar verses on this subject, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so this is true. This is one aspect of grace. But the Greek word has, you know, a fuller meaning. Just as grace does in our own, in, in English, right? And one of the aspects of, of grace, as Strong puts it, he says, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. You get that? The divine grace, the divine influence on the heart and the reflection in life as a result. So we can grow in this aspect of grace. When we receive God's unmerited favor, the gift of eternal life, we receive that. It's all, it's ours. But this other aspect, we have the ability to grow in that grace, to grow in our understanding, to let more of the divine influence of grace in our heart so that it can change us and and it be more reflective in our lives. In other words, it's one thing to understand the definition or to know the definition of grace, but it's quite another thing, isn't it, to actually be gracious, to receive grace in your heart and then be able to be gracious in your life, to have that visible in our lives. This we can grow. There's two times in my life where we're kind of turning points in my understanding of grace. The first one was when I was a plumber probably around 1987, 1988, in Orange County at a job site, Dove Canyon. It was a golf and country club they were building. We were building the, um, the clubhouse, putting the plumbing in, installing the plumbing. And um, my friend Paul Lang and I, he was, we were both Christians. We lived together. We actually were on the mission field together too. At 12 o'clock, we would go to our truck. We're sitting in that blue one ton with the pipe racks and everything and filthy plumbing truck. And we go in there and we would turn on the word for today. And we listen to Pastor Chuck. And during our time there, he was speaking and the broadcasts were on the book of Galatians. If you know the book of Galatians, it's a book of grace. Not worse, but showing the grace of God. And so that God, during that time, sitting in that plumbing chair, God began, to, God began to open my mind, my heart, to understand more of, the, of his grace. And the other time was 1991, the wall, the communist wall had come down. I was living in Austria at the time. And then we were able to launch into Eastern Europe. My friend Greg Opine and I, we pioneered Calvary Chapel Church planning into Hungary and on our way over there, we read this book, and in the first couple of weeks we were there, we would go through this book by Charles Spurgeon, and it was called All of Grace. And that was another time where a new depth, a new growing in my understanding of the grace of God. You know? So we can grow in God's grace. And we can grow, again, Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, Jesus Christ, to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, There are two dangers 
when we begin to gather knowledge. The first one is pride. Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So we need to be careful as we gain knowledge that we don't let it go to our head and kind of portray the, I know more than you, you poor soul, you know. We need to receive that knowledge, but keep the basis of love in our life. And then knowledge is the means to an end, not the end itself. Paul, or, or Jesus, when he was speaking to the religious leaders, in John 5, 39, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. They got into God's word, but they didn't allow God's word to take them to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that our knowledge is leading us to a better relationship with Jesus. Our knowledge should help us experience Jesus in a deeper way. That's, that's what it's about. And then we can help others. But for us personally, it has to be about getting to know our great God and Savior in a deeper way. My favorite verses in the Bible, some of them. In this Bible study, this will be my favorite. You know, next time you'll hear another favorite verse. But anyway, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And maybe you came today just to hear this part of the message. Maybe you came here today burdened. Maybe you came today heavy laden. A weight is on you. Jesus has come to him and I will give you rest. Just that word as I say it, I will give you rest. Is it God is speaking it to your heart right now. God will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus said. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our culture today. I deal with young people at the Bible college. We have these high school age program, five-week program called On the Edge. And it's amazing how many of the high school kids are facing or experiencing anxiety in their lives, panic attacks, right? What's going on? What's the cure? Jesus is the cure. You got to come. You need to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to put yourself in a place where you can experience Him in a deeper way. You're going to try to read another book on how to deal with your anxiety. And guess what? It won't work. How many books are on anxiety? today coping with anxiety google it probably probably a lot of them you know why there's a lot of them because the last one didn't work if they found one that worked they wouldn't have to write another one (laughs) people still have anxiety 
you, you need to engage with Jesus. Come to me. You know, When I came to Christ, I had a preconceived idea of who Jesus was. My exposure to Christianity was TBN, television, televangelist, back in the 70s and early 80s with the poofy hair and, you know, weird. I just associated Christianity with weirdness. And the other one was men with robes. And I was a construction worker. I don't care you call it, it's a dress, bro. You know what I mean? We're in construction. You know, you don't wear dresses. The incense and funky hat. You know, I, I don't want that. And, and I learned about Jesus, you know, through his word and Gail Irwin. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Gail Irwin? The Jesus style book. Man, what a great, he's a great guy too. Great and I read that book, and, and I began to see Jesus for really who he was. Not through what I thought he was. Not through what my culture said he was. But through what the Word of God said he was, right? We can grow in our knowledge of Jesus. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you become like them, right? I've been married for 25 years to a uh, uh, a, a woman, beautiful woman from Serbia who was a Hungarian. Her mom spoke to her in Hungarian. She went to Serbian school. She answered back in Serbian. We lived in Austria in a German-speaking culture, and I'm an American who speaks English. We had a little communication problem at the beginning, you might say. Now, 25 years of marriage... I don't have to wonder what she's thinking anymore. I can finish her sentences. She can finish my sentences. The more you spend time you spend with somebody, the more you understand them, the more you become like them. I knew a couple who had been married at the time that I knew them for 25 years. And I got to tell you, it was kind of strange because they could have been twins, literally twins. They had the same... You know, corny sense of humor. Um, they, they, they wore the same flannels. They, they looked like they, you had the same haircut. You know, I mean, it was kind of... <laughs> I always say God gave me my haircut. But anyway, you know, you know it, it was just eerie. They were so much alike, you know. And that's because they spent so much time together. And the more time you spend... With Jesus, no more you'll become like him. And then the, the last thing is we need to grow in our ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so... This perfecting or equipping of the saints, perfecting of the saints, has the idea, the word has the idea of like to mend something, to fix something. And so God gives leaders, pastors and leaders to the church. 
in order to take people as they become saved and to begin to mend them, to patch them up and to make them fit, if you will. Bynes Expository Dictionary, a making fit is his definition. So we make people fit to do the work of the ministry. Paul writes to his son in the faith, 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared or made fit for every good work. That's what we want to do. That's what we want the school to help us at Reliance do is to help make people fit for the master, for God to use. You know? The purpose is the work of the ministry. And this is what I've learned over you know, many years of internships, over 20 years of internships, probably uh, getting close to a couple hundred interns over those years is that in order to train somebody to do work, you have to actually give them work. And so the practical ministry aspect of the school of ministry will be incorporated into the leaders in training, the LIT program. Um, you're going to still have service that you're going to do. When I was a plumber, I was a journeyman plumber, and I had many apprentice plumbers over, over the years. And so what I would have to do with these guys is I would have to teach them how to do something, but inevitably, I would have to allow them to do it, right? And many times as I allowed them to do it, I'd come back and it was, it was, it was they, made, yeah, they shouldn't have let them do it, right? They made a mistake. But sometimes through their mistakes, they learn more through that mistake than they did the rest of it. So you have to let people have an opportunity to succeed, but when you give somebody the opportunity to succeed, by implication, you also give them the opportunity to fail. But the internship and the school will be orchestrated or organized in such a way that it'll be a safe environment so that when you do make a mistake, and you will, we all do, you won't sink the ship. You know, it'll be supervised so we can instruct and, and, and get you back on the right track. Sometimes we just do things differently, don't we? My dad was a plumber before me, and he used to tell me, Rod, if you give 100 plumbers a set of plans, the plumbing will be installed in that house 100 different ways. Pipes will be just a little bit different. But he said in all 100 houses, the toilets will flush. And that's the end goal, right? That it works. And so sometimes we just have to be open to allowing people to do things a little bit differently as God expresses himself through different people. Paul writes to Titus 3.14, and let our people also learn to maintain good words. That's what we want to do. Meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Um, Service opportunities are important because you get to see different qualities in people. 
Like I said, I've been in Bible college environment now for 20 years, teaching or directing Bible colleges in Europe and here. And um, in the classroom, I get a window into your mind. You know, so I can see young guys that God may be calling to the ministry because I can see their insights into God's word. I, usually if God's showing you things, it's so that you can show those things to other people. But in the service end, I get a window into your heart. We got a program at the Bible College. It's um, practical Christian service, which we're going to kind of do here in the church. And um, there you get to see the heart. You know, are they, are they diligent in that practical Christian service? Are they faithful in that practical Christian service? You know, and I would much rather have somebody with the right heart whom I can give the right knowledge to than to have somebody with the knowledge who doesn't have the right heart because I really can't do anything about your heart. That's God's business. But I can give somebody with the right heart the right tools. You know, so um, faithfulness is huge. Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's why the practical Christian service in the leaders and training program will be crucial in developing that aspect into our lives. Well, there's one thing that we're not to grow in. Galatians 6, 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, I'm, I was worshiping this morning, and I was, um, you know, Ted introduced me as one of the pastors here. And I really kind of had this sense of joy, and it was like um, blessing and, and pride, really, that I am one of the pastors on staff here, and, and being able to by his grace, to be involved in what he's doing in Reliance, you know. Um, since we merged our churches together, um, it's been crazy. We had the building project going. We started the On the Edge, the five-week youth discipleship program at the, at the conference center that we've been doing. And then at the end of the month, I'm going to Europe on a missions trip. I think everybody else, Ted's going to Ireland and Kyle and the group's going to Panama, so everyone's leaving. But I really look forward when I get back to be able to settle in and get to know and, and, and become more of a, uh, a member or get, kind of sinking my teeth into what God's doing. I haven't been able to really do that. It's been kind of crazy, but I look forward to doing that. And, and, um, but I'm a volunteer. I always say I have a part-time job that I run 46 acres known as the Conference Center, Calvary Chapel Conference Center. Um, we have 100 and something employees. And so the, uh, I do this because I love it. And I'm going to commit in the leadership training program my Thursday evenings to 
be a part of this. So I wanted to kind of give you an overview of what it's going to be like. If you want to um, show the first slide. There it is, leaders in training. Next slide says, we're going to begin August 30th. And classes will be weekly on Thursday evenings from 7 to 8.15. And so it, it's not going to be, we're, going to, we're not going to do the video things anymore. It's going to be, I'll be leading the lectures. Bob Brown, a couple other people will be there to kind of, we're going to have groups and, and do some different stuff over the course of the semester. It's going to be a, a three-year program that you can be a part of. Um, the graduation requirements will be um, complete three years of the academic training, which is six semesters, two semesters each year. Complete three years of practical ministry. I'll explain that in a second. Complete one local outreach, at least. Like, for instance, the, for example, the VBS, be a part of that. Complete one foreign mission trip. 2019, we'll be going probably to these four places, the Philippines, Ireland, Panama, and Hungary to do a pastors and leaders conference there. And so get one of those in the three years. And then year one, it'll look like this. There'll be two semesters. The first semester will be how to study your Bible, simple inductive method through Ephesians, like I said. And then practical theology for the second semester. And I'm just going to take some different um, aspects to, of things that will, you need to kind of live life and to minister. It's not going to be like a, a heavy theology class. It's going to be more real practical things. And then the Sunday rotations and midweek rotations, if your schedule permits. I know not everybody will be able to do that, but if, if you can be involved in a midweek, it would be helpful. And so the Sunday morning rotations, the first year you go two months at a time into these various ministries, middle school, Tech, AV, worship, if applicable. I keep trying to get on the worship team. They won't let me. They said, Rod, it's not applicable. <laughs> My best friend, he, Paul Lang, who I went to Europe with, um, he said, Rod, you sing like a wildebeest caught in the throngs of death. <laughs> I said, thanks, bro. <laughs> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then administration, which would be working with Shirley in the, in the um, connection center out there, ushers and greeters, or children's ministry. And then the midweek rotations that you can go, you can be a part of the high school group with Kyle if they have a midweek um, meeting. And then the middle school with Darius, they have a midweek. And then worship, again, applicable. Oops, that's why they can't be worshipped. And then administration, so you go to kind of learn how the office works, maybe some accounting and basic things that the office functions, and, and then the on the edge. You can also have a rotation in the on the edge program. We have a, it's a year, pro, all year round program. We have, um, we call it OTE Academy, where some kids come and they continue their High school education under our supervision. We work with a charter school in town here and kind of gives help kids get a firmer foundation. Sometimes they're not ready to go back into the environment that they came out of, so we keep them a little bit longer. Second year is hermeneutics, 
and homiletics, just a little bit more in depth on how to study the Bible and how to prepare uh, messages, homiletics, and then maybe more practical theology and maybe getting into some other issues a little bit deeper into theology. Just more to equip you, you know, in, in ministry and life. And then the, the practical ministry at this point, you won't rotate anymore. Hopefully you'll kind of know where God is kind of calling you and settling you and you, you'll work in that for the whole year. And then, um, and then the third year, again, more hermeneutics and homiletics and it's going to be more pastoral focus but everybody will be able to benefit from it Um, the the second semester will be pastoral ministry and church planning and then hopefully um, you know if you're called to pastoral ministry by this time there'll be more teaching opportunities for you in various ways um, Pastor Chuck said, "If you learn how to teach kids, you can teach anyone. So you might, if you're calling, it, feel called into pastoral ministry, we might put you with the older kids a little bit more, so you can really hone in on your craft a little bit more. And then after that, you've learned church planning and everything. We're going to kick you out of the church and go plant one. No, I'm just joking. So, 